Hello, welcome to Local Anesthetic Podcast, the most trusted name in local news. My name is Alex, this is Rob. Hello. And this is episode 167 now, and we can be found on our website, which is lapodcast.net, and I'm going to give you details of all the other ways you can find us and contact us later. But for any of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast all about local news. But it's not like where you need to... It's not local news like official local news. This is where we are sifting through stories that go on in the crazy local newspapers that exist across this country and sometimes even the world to find those gems of stories which you will never hear about anywhere else but which are gold dust, Rob, because they're either funny, weird, banal or just very, very strange. Mm. Uh, But we do have a general anaesthetic feature as well where I do report on a uh, more national news story or national news stories. How you doing, Rob? I'm not too bad. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick story? Okay. I was... I had to be I had to be at a meeting somewhere where I'm not normally at work. I was in Southwark. Right. And I was standing outside... Do for we need a, to elaborate where Southwark is for those who may not know? No. Okay. Uh, and I... It's in London. That's all you need to know. Look it up on the map if you're interested. Do some research. Uh, educate yourself. Fair enough. And I was standing outside this building and I looked up and there was Graham Norton in a big puffer jacket with two dogs walking down the street. Right. Looking like, to be honest, he really didn't want to be noticed. Apparently he has a, he has a pad around there as well as... Because uh, I somebody afterwards, he has places otherwise. But he walked straight past me. I would have thought the way not to be noticed is probably not to have two big dogs. Well, he, they had to be taken for a walk. That's true. And I don't know, I never say anything to celebrities that I see. I'm not that sort of person. For some reason, I was compelled to say, and I did just say... Uh, as he, as he was right next to me, uh, those are lovely dogs you've got, Graham. Uh, <laughs> what a random statement. To which he just said, cheers, and kept walking. And I have to say that Graham Norton was nowhere near as friendly as I imagined he might be. I had an experience. He looked like he really did not want to get involved in the conversation. I mean, he was I was dressed on. smartly. I was obviously not going to ask him for an autograph. I, you know, I thought he could get into it, because obviously I know about dogs, because because I've got a relative who works at Battersea Cats and Dogs and that mm. kind of thing. I just thought, you know, we could strike up a conversation. I don't really know even if I wanted to, but he was, he looked, he, yeah, he looked like annoyed. I even I said anything. I had a very similar experience. Can I, I just say I felt ashamed afterwards and dirty? Well, unfortunately, my experience is very similar to that. I'd gone to a course over in Hammersmith and I was crossing the road to go back to the tube station and I had I realised that, uh, that Bill Bailey was standing on the corner and I felt impelled to say something, uh, sorry, compelled to say, say something to him. And I just said, I'm a massive fan of your work. And he That's seemed f- slightly bemused and just said, oh, cheers. But then he wasn't really making eye contact. And I just thought... These people really are bastards. So I'm when you consider, the, sure when you consider <laughs> the amount of money they make, I would, I'd be quite grateful if somebody came up to me and said, I love your work. I don't think that's... That, that at least is... Yeah, no, I, I, I was, it was genuine. I, I think it's easy. But he wasn't interested. No. So do you like Bill Bailey after that? Did it, it put has you off somewhat tainted my, my yeah. view of him, which is a shame. I think he's a very talented comedian. I did want to see Chris Morris in Oxford Street and didn't say anything to him and wish I had. Yeah, I think I would have had to say something. Didn't you want to shake Edwin in the band's hand, Rob? Yeah, I met him at Victoria Station. But he did make eye contact because, of course, they have to because you're <laughs> a voter. He didn't <laughs> punch he, you like John Prescott. No, no, I think he would have actually stayed. He was actually conducting a conversation until one of his aides had, uh, called away and said he told me he had to get a train, which may have just been a lie. Mm. Um, can I say, by the way, you, start, you mentioned before the podcast about having a red light and then started talking about Red Dwarf. And now all I can think about is... Red light. Oh, oh I mentioned that we should have an on-air light. And then I mentioned you Red Dwarf before the podcast. And now I've been thinking about that fantastic episode where 
um, Rimmer asked um, Crichton it, if we could go to Red, Red Alert, and he responds by saying, Are "You, you sure do realise uh, it does mean we have to change the bulb. <laughs> yeah. That does mean changing the bulb. Yeah. That's, that is one of the all-time great lines. I think I might actually go home and have to watch that. Yeah, you're obsessed. Sorry, for, no, sorry, listeners. I just want to uh, put that out there. Rob, is it okay if we get on with the episode? Is Absolutely. that okay with you? Because that's why people have tuned in. We do need a light bulb, but that can wait. Yeah, we need an on-air thing to avoid us being disturbed. Okay, Rob. I said to you before this podcast, I'm only going to do two segments this week. I'm going to do an opening segment with three stories and then a general anaesthetic segment later with three stories. Okay. So it's a big general anaesthetic this week. So let's start, Rob, because we haven't heard from him for a long, long time. Oh, please tell me it's Andrew. It's Andrew Parks. Andrew Parks is the editor of the New Shopper and Group, uh, New Shopper Group, which apparently owns lots of new newspapers. He is the group editor of these things and the man is a buffoon. And Sorry, can I ask one question just before you say... Why don't we feature any of the other papers that he's the group editor of? Because surely he, there must be other papers that he. Well, I don't know if the, I, stories I, in. Well, I don't. I don't know, Rob. I don't because I'm still confused about exactly. Does group editor of New Shopper just mean editor of New Shopper? I don't understand it. Yeah. All point. I know is is that for a while they did this regular feature every week called his five thoughts of the week oh, with God, these five yeah. random ramblings, and this man is getting paid to do what anybody. I mean, I, I suspect it takes him fifteen minutes to do. Mm. Some weeks they exist, some weeks they don't. This week they're here. Oh, well, and nice. uh, it was from the 21st of January 2016, and he's on form this week, Rob. Lovely. Zach Goldsmith, Darcy Bustle, Ellie King, Dog Poo, and Dropping Litter. That's a very strange dinner party. Editor Andrew Parks has a number of thoughts every week. Here are just five of them. One, an excuse I heard this week made my blood boil. Some thought this moron actually had the audacity to claim he was justified to drop litter because he didn't think there were enough bins. I bet he was lying, but I don't care if there wasn't a b- single bin within 100 miles. It's still not an excuse. Now, Rob, this opens up for us a potential avenue of a debate. If you've got litter and there's there's not a litter bin for 100 miles, are you justified in dropping it? Or putting it somewhere? I'm with Andrew. I think no. I would would literally put put the litter in my bag or pocket until I find a receptacle. So you've got no... It's a hot day. There's no bag. There's no pockets. You're walking walking around in swimming trunks. What do you do with that litter? It goes in the drain. Oh. Which is probably... No, I, I would. I, I, no, I would put it somewhere discreet. I wouldn't just throw it on the floor, but I would put it somewhere. I must admit. I Do have you have been... any problem with like chuck it? Like, to me, banana skins aren't litter. No, no, they're by the way. You throw them enough. into sort of. I also have an issue on a bush tube <laughs> on tube tra- on tube stations because some some have bins, some don't. If I had a coffee that morning and I can't see a bin, I will tend to leave on the platform because there's Rob, the lack of uh, bins in certain areas of London and on tube stations is due to the threat of terrorism. <laughs> it's no excuse to drop litter. That's true, Alex. I'm Number two. The race to become London Mayor is really hotting up. I'm not claiming a favourite, but the Backzack campaign is certainly the most vociferous. Trouble is, every time I get an email or alert from Backzack, I can't help feeling the word crack is missing from the title. And I'm not talking about the Class A drug. I mean, there's two issues there. <laughs> Backzack and crack. I mean, the first, the, I mean, Andrew Park was even aware of that. Uh, and second of all, is it surprising that um, he's supporting Zach Goldsmith? Multi-millionaire? Property owner? Uh, he didn't. He didn't say that, Rob. We shouldn't. We shouldn't say that. But uh, I do wonder for an episode title. It's just back Zach crack is a good one. Yeah, back Zach and crack. Number three. As I, as uh, as we move forward another week deeper into 2016, I suspect most of our resolutions have already slipped. I didn't make any to no, avoid no, that. No, not me. But for some reason, the New Year has seen me acquire new tastes. More specifically, new musical tastes. If you haven't heard Ellie King yet, then you really should. Even more surprising is from nowhere, I've rediscovered the Stone Roses. Can't believe I didn't fully appreciate their genius previously. This is like an Alan Partridge post. Yes, it really is. 
Uh, number four, I'd like to place on record my thanks to Juliet Chaplin for her very sound medical advice. However, I've now found that I get all the relief I need from Darcy Bustle, or to be more specific, from Darcy's Pilates DVD. I know, I know, I would have poo-pooed it too, but having tried it, I'm 100% converted. Pilates is the best thing for a dodgy back, and any sufferer should try it. It's becoming more partridge. What the fuck was that? <laughs> Five, finally just heard a story about a council asphalting over glass verges because it is fed up of the constant dog fouling. Well... Let me tell you, the answer to dog poo is not to asphalt, asphalt every green space. The much better, more sensible solution is to fine and shame dog owners to such an extent they're dissuaded from ever committing the same crime again. Well, I mean, that's just... That was a real... Can I say that was the most Alan Partridge's ever seen? Without sounded. a doubt. I mean, that feature has been away for some time, but I think he's come out with an absolute belter. No, they have... To be fair to him, there are often these five thoughts. Like yes, but the usual waste of time. Yes. Um, Golden Broom Boy addresses his points. Number one, get with the programme. It's booze that the authorities are targeting. Litter is next year. Number two, don't worry about Zach. His chums at the London Evening Standard are doing their job. Number three, listen to Sergio Mendes and Brazil 66 if you want to hear genius. Number four, Darcy Bustle gives you relief. <laughs> Shum mistake, methinks. Number five, worth remembering in the days when you could leave your back door unlocked, the streets were full of dog poo. You know, the, the shum mistake reference is, is, is lifted from Private Eye. Oh, right. it, was a, it was a spelling mistake in the national board sheet, I believe. Right, that's good. <coughs> I like the number five, worth remembering in the days when you could leave your back door and lock the streets were full of dog poo. Is that a euphemism? I did wonder. <laughs> um, right, Rob, let's go on to the next story. Down to Bournemouth, the Daily Echo. Uh, Tuesday the 20... Tuesday this week. We're recording on the 28th, so Tuesday would be the 26th of January. Yes, yes. Um, update. Mystery box washes up on beach. Oh my god. But what's inside? Nothing. Is there nothing inside it? Wait. This black wooden box washed up on Boscombe Beach on Monday morning. It's big, Rob, this box. Uh, Unfortunately, I've got something obscuring the picture, but that'll give you an idea of the size. It's big. That is a a fair size. It's like a crate, isn't it? Can I just say, Boscombe Beach looks revolting. Look at those beach huts. Yeah. With, I mean... I think, yes, the the, the, the the 1960s buildings behind them. But those beach huts just like, look like they've just been plonked in the middle of a council estate. I think they've just been painted on. I don't think they're actual beach huts. <laughs> Coast guards were called to deal with the crate, which is covered in goose barnacles. <laughs> Stephen... <laughs> the fuck is a goose barnacle? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Stephen Avery and his neighbour, Fran Clowry, noticed the box on the beach. To- noticed? You'd have to be an idiot to not spot yeah. it. On the beach near to Boscombe Pier around 7.30am. He said... That, by the way, that is a goose barnacle. Oh, okay. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> I think it's because they look a bit like beaks. Yeah, I can see that. He said, we hope that it's a treasure test chest. It was quite a surprise. It was just a big box, which is about three foot by two foot and about four foot across. We have been told we can keep whatever's in it if nobody claims it, but we don't know what's in it yet. It's not a coffin, is it? It's not something he's been buried at sea. After a great deal of speculation from Echo Readers about what might be inside, they did a poll. I'm going to tell you the poll. 31% of people said it's empty. Right. 6% said lost Doctor Who episodes were inside. That's nice. 10% said all the world troubles. 40, 24% said the gooseneck barnacles would be more valuable. And 28% said I don't really care. And 100% just took the piss. Yes. After a great deal of speculation from Echo readers about what might be inside, ranging from lost episodes of Doctor Who to Lord Luke and Elvis and Shergar by Pandora <laughs> and the horror film Seven, the Coast Guard rescue team finally revealed the contents. The team said the box was believed to be part of a pontoon that had broken away and contained nothing but foam. The box has now been removed by the council. Amazing. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting comments on this. Speedy231278 says, We've been told that we can keep whatever's in it if nobody claims it, we don't know what it is, quoting the article. He says, They seem to have been told wrong. 
Anything like this must be reported to the receiver of the wreck. Of wreck. They will then attempt to find the owner. If the owner is not found or does not come forward within a year, the fine becomes the property of the Crown, who will dispose of it accordingly. The finder male may not be invited to keep it, depending on what it is. There you go, Rob. You learned Actually, the man is absolutely correct. Top Gear says, nerd. <laughs> that includes you. Speedy23127 Eight says, it's funny how uneducated simpletons refer to people who know things as nerds simply because they want to, all they want to know is how much job seekers allowances per week and how much a pack of fags cost. <laughs> Top Gear says, I don't know either of those things, thankfully. Um, Jack Johnson says, there's only one way to find out. Sell it as a mystery box on eBay. Jack Johnson follows up by saying it's Osama Bin Laden's coffin, which I particularly enjoyed as a comment. <laughs> um, can you imagine? iFunky says it appears to be about the size of a Boscombe Studio apartment, so it could be some poor bugger and his family fallen foul of a feckless, greedy landlord who also offered them a luxury cruise around the bay. Very nice. Um, some poor bugger and his family fallen foul of a reckless, greedy landlord. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. Um, and A.N. Arkis says, with a bit of luck, it might be the evidence that non, the non the noncocrats have been trying to lose for years documenting the Westminster nonce ring. Doubt it, though. Even they, even they ain't that stupid, or are they? That said, landing in Tory Central, it will soon disappear again. Tory Central I, I, being Boscombe Bay. Of course. I, I, know, I know that we can't have the Westminster nonce ring, but that is a very good episode title. I think we discussed once having it before. Um, High Treason says, is it several immigrants from Calais? <laughs> I think that's unnecessary. Or a, bun- a bunch of immigrants, to quote uh, David Cameron. Of course, yeah. Or, or, or migrants, sorry. And uh, last comment, Bayside simply says, does it contain the average UKIPper's sense of perspective? Oh, very nice. Very abstract. So, Rob, I've saved the best for last. I love this story. I absolutely fell in love with it. It's from Thursday the... I don't know if it's... I think it's the 21st of January. So, yeah, last week. Last Thursday. Rob, yeah. I love this story. It's from the Bournemouth Echo. It's by Jade Graspy. Uh, by the way, for anybody who's interested, because I do try and be um, uh, make sure I get everything factually correct, that last story about the crate covered in goose barnacles um, was by... Who is it by? Who is it by? Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Alex is frantically scrolling uh, no, the page. Uh, nobody. Right. <laughs> um, right, Rob. As I say, I love this story. By Jade Grasbury. A woman is desperate to be reunited with her cat after it was accidentally driven away from home on the roof of a van. <laughs> Uh, I should say the headline is my boyfriend drove off with our cat on the roof of his van. Please help us find him. And I think she means the cat, not the boyfriend. Yeah, I think she's probably more attached. Bernie Campbell described... It's an interesting name for a woman. Hmm. Bernie Campbell. Described the horrible moment she realised what had happened after her pet, Tig, after we went missing on Saturday. When a member of the public posted on social media they had spotted a cat on the roof of a silver Vauxhall Vivaro passing through Dunyeats Road in Broadstone, three miles away from Bernie's home in Upton, her fears were confirmed. Oh, um, this is cat. This is the Twitter, the tweet, spotted in Broadstone, missing cat. Is anyone missing a cat today? A cat was seen on the roof of a milving Suva van in Dunnings Road, seen by shops at 11.30am driving in the direction of Gravel Hill. People tried to shout to try and make the driver aware. Well, can you imagine this scene? I just there's a book gone. I mean, what an image this is! Just imagine there's this man drives down the road, and literally there's people trying to get his attention, shouting "Cats!" And why is he cats? Why, why is he ignoring all these people? Why would the point? Did you just think they were wait, waving? I was going to tell a story then, which I don't think I'm going to tell on the podcast because it's quite horrific. No, go on. I used to have a job as a, uh, a bed delivery man 
Um, as, although, I, as you often talk about. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it was your favourite ever job. We all know this. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you go back to being a bed delivery man? If you yeah, love it it so doesn't much. pay, Alex. If it, if it paid, then I would. Right. But um, there was one day when we were Can driving. Can you remind to me of why you enjoyed this job so much? Because I think a phrase you used I particularly enjoyed. Why did you enjoy this job so much? Well, Alex, it was, it was a different, it was a new experience every day. Um, we would go out in the rain, the wind, and the snow. Did you say you enjoyed the company? Yeah, the company was great. It was basically it's my mate Ollie who's dad owns the business, and we would just go out in the van and occasionally stop for a pint. Not sure to say on the podcast, but anyway, uh, and it was just it was it was the camaraderie I enjoyed. That a was it, the camaraderie. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, one day we ran over a cat. Carry on. <laughs> What's that got to do? Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the, the driver in front had obviously thrown a cigarette butt out the window. The cat had run across the road, and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't stop in time. And there was this. I mean, quite horrific sound as the cat went under the vans of the uh, the, the cat went under the wheel of the van. What does the man dropping, uh, flicking a cigarette butt out of his window have to do with this cat? I think the cat had obviously spotted something and thought it was something else. Don't um, blame the man with the cigarette, Rob. Smokers Alex, get I need to blame someone else. It, it so did you drive me. off? I, I wake up in a cold sweat at night. Did you drive off afterwards? Yeah, we did debate the stopping, but we we. You, uh, did, you didn't stop. No. Did you even move the cat off the side of the road or give it a burial? I'm sorry, listeners. I'm using this as therapy. So somebody, it, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a listener somewhere whose cat that was all those years ago? It would have been around the Cheshire area. So if you lost the cat around 2004, I'm, I'm really sorry. It, it was a white Persian, I think. You just drove off? Leaving a cat in two I remember, that, I remember this vividly because I remember we just sat... It was one of those stunned silences. We just sat in the van for about 10 minutes. And then my mate turned and went, should we have stopped? So you uh, have been involved in a hit and run where you I've have murdered a, an animal. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, unfortunately a, a perpetrator of feline aside or cat aside or whatever the fuck you call it. <sighs> anyway, on to this story. Her partner, Jamie Tilsard, had been driving to Ferndown Industrial Estate but did not realise Tig was asleep on the roof when he set off. The couple are hoping Tig would have survived the journey doing everything they can to relocate him. This is Tig... I know you love cats. Oh, she's very pretty. Yeah. She's absolutely gorgeous. I'm heartbroken right now and I've had very little sleep. I want my boy back, Bernie said. Is she talking about the boyfriend or the cat? The cat. We checked the van. You can see where he was. He's ripped through the paint down to the metal. And there's oh. fur stuck in the double roof rack system where he must have been pinned into so the, the corner. the cat was literally hanging on for dear life. People were trying to flag down the van, apparently, oh, no. but with no luck. The couple have had Tig since August 2013. He was abandoned by his previous owners and Bernie took him in after finding him badly injured one day. He had a horrible start in life, she said. I took care of him when he had his face badly smashed in an incident where he ended up in the back of a dustbin lorry. His tongue was split from top to bottom and the vet said at the time he'd have to be put down if they were unable to save the tongue. I'm hoping that old part of his life will help him to survive now. Right, these people need to look after this cat better. We've been and out I every night since he went. I just said, that's not good. We've been out every night since he went, taking up the route to the estate. We've put up posters over and have handed out leaflets. We've reported him missing to every vet in the area and asked the manager of Ferndale Industrial Estate to look at the CCTV footage at the time Jamie was there but he said it wasn't switched on that day she said I hope he's not hurt and his inner GPS is working properly so he can make it home <sighs> now Rob I see it as my responsibility Rob as I feel this couple may need closure to state what we're all thinking Tig is <laughs> Tig is dead oh god I'm glad you said it at some point during that journey Tig could cling on to the roof no more and flew up to heaven. Or, unfortunately, flew off the back of the van and then, similar to my experience, maybe no more. I think he, I think he, I think, no, I think he flew, flew off the van and went straight up to heaven on the wings of love, Rob. Very nice. Well, either way, Tig, rest in peace. 
Uh, comments. We shall see, says, I feel rather concerned that people try to flag the driver down, yet he seems unaware. Does he not take notice of the environment? And what is he? What is going on outside while driving? Um, Fair. <laughs> I don't think these are appropriate. Speedy23127 says, catastrophic. <laughs> uh, stereotype. <laughs> don't start making puns on it. <laughs> stereotype said, this is a catastrophe. Stay oh. positive. Uh, NJ62 says, so the boyfriend is in the doghouse, I suppose, but I hope the cat turns up. Oh, Okay. Uh, Big Tone says cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> and Toyota Rav 4 says in caps. So I'll read it in caps. Oh God. We had a cat some years ago jumped into the back of a delivery lorry in Burr, Burr Regis and ended up in Shaftesbury. It took him two and a half hours to walk home very wet and sore footed but pleased to see us. So fingers crossed yours will be home soon. There is no punctuation in that. Can I just say, if you'd lost like an elderly relative, you wouldn't. I mean, to be fair, you wouldn't report it to the local paper, but you wouldn't expect. Well, hardly wouldn't leave an elderly relative on top of the roof, <laughs> clinging onto the roof rack. <laughs> Unless you put them there yourself, but then you wouldn't expect local commenters to start making puns puns on the on, on the name of the elderly relative. <laughs> Uh, can we can we think of a pun about an elderly relative being lost uh, on the top of a van? Probably, but we haven't got time for that now. No. Okay, Rob, you've got a story for us. We should just say, listeners, that we just had a technical issue and we just read out an entire story which didn't record for some reason and we've decided not to go through the effort of re-recording it so you'll never know what that's... Do you just want to tell people what the headline was and let people... They can go and read it for oh, themselves. yeah, okay. Um, the headline was... It's from the Croydon Advertiser. Or the Crad- Cradverse, we like to refer to it. Um, it was a uh, mayor suspends council meeting amid row over whether to have a vote on having a vote. And what I love about her is her name is Patricia. Hey, Justice. We also had quite an elongated conversation about Jamie Kyle. <laughs> yeah, which unfortunately you'll never know what was said. Which is probably for the best, job because we do want to avoid legal disputes. But you had- did we say anything inflammatory? I don't think we did. Perhaps. You have a story for us, Rob. Oh, yes. Sorry. Okay. Um, my story this time is from The Citizen. The Citizen? I mean, really. We, we need to stop this. Uh, it's by... Uh, there's no journalist listed. Headline. Your eight boys taught in isolation because of extreme haircuts. So, sorry? Your eight boys taught in isolation, isolation because of extreme haircuts. See, I couldn't understand what you said because of the way you said your. You just sounded like... Your eight boys... Taught in isolation because of extreme haircuts. What are these extreme That does sound like a day-to-day headline. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Two schoolboys were hauled out of class and taught in isolation over their extreme side-parting haircuts. What? (laughs) How extreme are these side-partings? I mean, they are quite extreme. You can see a picture later. Right. Do Uh, they start all the way at their waist? (laughs) Yeah, they basically grow all the way down. Um, No, I meant just a parting style. Oh, I see, right. Kieran Roberts, 12, and his pal Dan Scrawley, 13... Dan Scrawley, he sounds like a wrongin. <laughs> got the fashionable, hair st- the fashionable style at the weekend, and they got the barber to shave high up the sides of their heads. But they were immediately taken out of the lesson by teachers, and when their families found out, they were given authorization to take them home. Is this in Gloucester? Um, where's Citizen? Where Gloucester is this? Citizen? No, is this is it? Plymouth. Plymouth. Is it, is it, I thought Citizen covered Gloucester. It does. Why is this... Oh, it's another story they've obviously lifted. <laughs> Plymouth. Is that quite conservative, Plymouth? I've no idea. Right. Probably. Um, the guards insisted that their hair is a grade two, complying with school rules, and have been blast- and have bl- blasted Sir John Hunt's Community Sports College in Plymouth. Kieran's dad, 50, said he won't back down, and his son will get the same haircut next time he visits the barber. Bloody hell, this is a standoff. Yeah. He said, Kieran has had the, has had the same hairstyle ever since the beginning of year seven. Isolation means they aren't allowed break. 
Or at lun- or go out at lunchtime. Solitary confinement. Yeah. Or allowed to mix when with the general population. I'm not sure you're allowed. School. I'm not sure you're allowed not to give people a break. You're I mean, a Alex, they're not like they're not exactly locking the young people in the, in the closet classroom. Maybe they're not allowed a break. Or break right time. I think European convention. Uh, you know the the, the 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 treaty on human rights or whatever it's bloody well called. I think you're entitled. No, no, but I think given the nature of the haircuts, it could lead to dissent in the school, right. and that will, and we as we know, dissent leads to anarchy. Do the, do the haircuts look quite fascist? Could it lead to an outbreak of fascism? It, the, that is a possibility. I mean, it's quite rebellious. I must admit. Um, I, I have a feeling you're saving me up for something that's going to be <laughs> fairly inoffensive, but also yeah, that might be the case. When they go to lunch, they got to sit at a table away from other children. Uh, when he's in isolation, Kira also misses out on all his lessons. That doesn't get any help if he's struggling. And he does need it. I mean, don't, don't knock his self-confidence. There's no need for that. Somewhere along the line, somebody has to stand their ground with this haircut. As soon as the hair gets long again, I will take him and get the same haircut. The eight, the eight boys got the fashionable haircuts when they were out at the weekend, with Dan, who's looked after by his aunt, getting it done without her permission. The style made popular by the stars of the only way is Essex involves a short under undercut with the hair long on top and a side and a shaved side part. Can, side, can I see this? Can't say that. Shaved side parting. Yeah, here we go. Because uh, I have still got no visual image of what you're talking about. Oh, mm, that is pretty. Do you think it's excessive? Yeah, but they say, he said he's had this haircut since year seven. And he's now in year eight. I don't think he has. It I wasn't think, that extreme. I think it got increased. He's, he's like, fine. Yeah, he's the one fine. on the right just looks completely normal. I would say to people, just looks like he got side parting. The one on the left is it's very extreme, shaved all the way up the side of the head, and then a great big blonde quiff, it, and it looks a bit Mohicany. Um, I would have sent him in solitary confinement, but spared the other boy. Um, and interestingly, the one with the uh, very offensive haircut is Dan Scrawley. How do you know that? Does it sound the picture? It says Dan. It says um. which ones they are. They were put in isolation as soon as they turned up with a new style on Monday and were taken around midday when the Guardians found out. The Guardians claimed they were given authorization, uh, authorised uh, authorised absence slips, meaning they won't be fined for not being in the lessons. The slips don't have a date on them and the parents are unsure whether the boys will be allowed back in class if they turn up before their hair grows back. Um, the regulations of the school's web- website state the that... The problem the school have got around this is it all becomes very petty. Yeah. Because at what point of length in the hair growth is it permissible to come back to class? Do you see what I mean? Well, of course... Two millimetres, three millimetres... Well, Alex, is what I was going to say. What, is the head teacher going to be there with a measuring comb? I'd love that. I really would love He's got that. his little uh, tape measure and he's like, right, you can go back to class now, boys. Half a millimetre. Get off my fucking school property, son. Yeah, all that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds a bit... Sorry, that sounds a bit too sinister. Um... So the regulations on the school's website state that unusual haircuts and shaven heads below grade two defi- are not permitted. Who defi- unusual is too broad a term. It's non-specific. Who, de- who decides what's unusual or not? Well, fair. And fair. what's unusual in one culture might not be unusual in another culture. What's unusual in one era might not be unusual in another era. Fair point. In, in the years to come, our haircuts, particularly yours, might look highly unusual. I mean, it looks unusual now, but yeah, that's me because I, I can't afford a haircut. Uh, Dan's aunt, uh, Chrissy Goodwin, 57, is legal guardian, said she was angry he'd been taken out of lessons. My point is that take him on holiday on the summer term, you get a fine, but you could easily just put a side part on your hair and get sent home and go off on a two-week holiday while it's growing. I mean, it's a slightly strange comment to make, but I'll take the point. Uh, I'm only going to do one comment, uh, just by a commenter called Quedgley Guy, who said, Whatever happened to the freedom of expression? 
now that the school Nazis think that they own kids' minds. <laughs> <laughs> school Nazis. School Nazis. What a great phrase. School Nazis who think they own kids' minds is a good episode. <laughs> That's very <laughs> true. <laughs> Okay, Robert, it's time for our general anaesthetic feature, and, and, and we should just prepare listeners that if anybody really enjoyed last week's chip shop review, which was quite extraordinary, we have another one for you this week, because we found that there was one a week prior to this, and we have the audio again. It's back with a bang. But before we get on to the oh, mixing, metaf- mixing metaphors, back Rob. with a chip. Rob, I really want to do my general anaesthetic segment. I've got three stories. Great. The second are more humorous. The second and third are more humorous. The first is not. Oh, God. But I, I feel, again, a responsibility to to keep, in some way, highlighting what the government are doing. It's more to do with the DWP. Oh, lovely. Tuesday, 26th of January. No journalist. The Guardian, for some reason, didn't have a journalist on this. Um, disabled people are accused of using aids they don't need to cut benefits again. Right. The Department for Work and Pensions, the DWP, who we, 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 we believe should have their logo changed so that the W forms an eagle's wings and it can look fascist. Alex, that was your great idea, Rob. You're quite a talented artist. Do I you could... not think you can make this happen? Oh, I should, should And, then, what, I think and then, what... then give it to the Guardian. Well, I, I, su- really, I was suggesting it's not maybe... A, actually, I could, you know. I was thinking was maybe make them into stickers and then put them in, in uh, you know, stick them around various lampposts in, in, in Westminster. That's not a bad idea. With local anaesthetic underneath, of course. That's a great idea. Yeah. You don't, don't ever want to avoid self-promotion, Rob. No, good point. The Department for Work and Pensions, DWP, knows a good day to bury bad news. Veiled under the New Year holiday and consultation set to close next week, the government is quietly examining how to cut eligibility benefits for its disability benefit, personal independence payment, PIP, which is also a passport to other benefits, such as a carer, such as carer's, carer's allowance. To grasp how this fits into austerity's bigger picture, it's worth going back to when the Conservatives began to sell the myth that Britain was filled with hordes of scrounging disabled people lining up to milk the state. Um, hordes of scrounging disabled people lining up to milk the state. Very strong. Very Mid- strong. Midway, and we might get a lot of inadvertent hits. <laughs> midway through the coalition <laughs> government, midway through the coalition government, Ian Duncan Smith, DWP, proudly began to scrap the disability living allowance (DLA), which had, as of 2012, helped 3.2 million disabled people to pay Sorry. for their additional care or mobility needs and replace it with PIP. I missed that name there. Do you mean increasing despicable shit? Uh, okay, yes, we did agree. That's what it was going to be called, didn't we? Unlike the DLA, PIP is a points-based system awarded on descriptors of a range of activities such as washing and bathing. A method of testing that campaigners long warned would be crude and inaccurate, just like with the infamous work capability assessment. It gives an insight into the politics at work that before a single disabled or chronically ill person has been had, had been tested, the DWP was predicting half a million claimants would lose their benefits as a result. So they'd already they've already got then an agenda if that's so what they're there's there's there basically yes three years later and with PIP beset by chaotic delays and rejections, the Conservative government appears to be trying to tamper with the way aids and appliances used by disabled people are considered in the PIP assessment. Currently, disabled people can be eligible for the daily living component of PIP based solely on the fact they use aids and appliances to help them to prepare food, dress or wash. These could range from grab rails to shower stools to walking sticks or commodes that need to be regularly replaced to an electric reclining bed, screen reader, amplifier telephone and infrared hearing system. Many of these could have an expensive initial outlay and ongoing insurance, electricity and maintenance costs. But this month's consultation process... 
This month's consultation proposes giving those who score all their assessment points from AIDS a reduced lump sum payment, potentially through the use of vouchers rather than benefits or changing the definition of what a disability aid is. How can the government justify this? The DWP claims the evidence presented to previous PRP review suggests that some disabled people are receiving benefits but are using, in quotes, non-specialist or low-cost items, or that AIDS or their aids are routinely available on NHS and from adult social care which is, they point out, the same social care system that's facing a funding crisis. It goes as far as to say that in some instances, points are being awarded because claimants chose to use aids and appliances rather than needed them. According to this logic, disability is essentially a lifestyle choice, and those who choose it use aids they don't actually need. Indeed, read the illustrative examples the DWP provides in the consultation document. Oh, please tell me their examples. A hypothetical... This is from their own document. A 58-year-old woman with osteoarthritis who uses a sink for support when getting off the toilet dresses sitting down and wears slip-on shoes for ease. It's easy to get the impression that what disabled people need is just a plucky attitude rather than social security. Sorry, they're classing a sink as an aid which apparently she doesn't... So she should be using what? Maybe sticks or a Zimmer frame? She doesn't need benefits, Rob. Disability campaigner Spartacus Network surveyed, dis- surveyed disabled people in response to the consultation. They say the use of such examples was seen by some as a deliberate attempt by the DWP to mislead the reader. I like a deliberate attempt by the DWP to mislead the reader. Into, accurate. into thinking claimants were facing no additional costs as a result of their disability. From the start of the Conservatives' reform or disability benefits, the narrative has been to present vast numbers of disabled and chronically ill people as either faking shirkers or passive victims with the wrong attitude. This latest consultation is simply another perhaps more blatant tactic to shift responsibility away from the state. After all, the easiest way for the government to shred social security for disabled people is to present the argument that many are not actually disabled. And what I, 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 what I find most galling about this is that the Prime Minister has personal experience of disability. Mm. The buck stops with him and he should not be... The, 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 the savage way they've gone after disabled people is unacceptable. Why has no one challenged him on this? I mean, I know it. I know it. Sure, it's too much of a personal attack to make. But oh, what, on what I just said, yeah. Well, you could say it about everything, though. The NHS, everything, couldn't you? Can I just make two points? I mean, of course, I want you to make points, Rob. That's what you're here for. There's, I mean, let's face it. I'm going to take solace. And there's two things happened this week of, of note. The first of all is the fact that the there's been a landmark ruling in the High Court that in certain cases the bedroom tax is discriminatory against those and illegal and illegal which is a fantastic result. And also I read today that there's been a quite a significant return by Michael, Tur- uh, Michael Gove today around a legal... F- uh, around, well, I think um, he would say on his whole life. No, unfortunately not. Uh, when you say you turn his life, you just mean suicide. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of um, legal aid, they've dropped plans to cut legal aid. Well, certain parts of legal aid because they're still cunts. Um, okay, Rob. A bit of lightheartedness now. Lovely. I okay. love these stories, Rob. They're only short. Because okay. I, I read the story and then I did some research. Okay. Please listen up. This is by Agents France Prissy. He's, he's obviously French. 25th Agent? of January. What's his first name? Agent? Agents. Agents. Okay. Agents France Prissy. I don't know who he is. 26th of January. Vulture arrested in Lebanon on suspicion of spying. <laughs> I saw this, yeah. A vulture from an Israeli nature reserve has been captured in Lebanon on suspicion of espionage after flying across the border, Israel's nature reserve authority has said. Members of the Israeli public phoned the, Nas- the Israel Nature and Parks Authority to alert it to Facebook reports and pictures of a vulture with an Israeli identification ring and location transmitter captured by residents of the South Lebanese town of Bint Jibel, a spokeswoman, Tali Tenebon, 
Tenenbaum, Tenenbaum said, Reports passed to us show the vulture tied with a rope by local people who write that they suspect Israeli espionage, apparently because of the transmitter attached to him, the authority said. In the 21st century, we expect people to understand that wild animals are not harmful. He added, we hope the Lebanese will release him. Tenen- so, the wild animals are not harmful, did they just say? Yeah, they are, they can be. <laughs> um, Tenenbaum said the authority's experts have been aware for some days it had flown about 2.5 miles, 4 kilometres into Lebanon, but we did not know he'd been captured, she said. Reports later said the bird had been freed after it was deemed not to pose a threat, so they interviewed it, presumably. <laughs> of course, yeah. Conspiracy theories are endemic in the Middle East. Last summer, Palestinian media reported claims by Gaza Strip's Hamas rulers that they had apprehended, apprehended a dolphin off the Mediterranean coastline equipped with oh, video cameras hell. and an Israeli spying mission. In 2011, Saudi media reported that a vulture carrying a GS... GPS transmitter and an identification ring from Tel Aviv University had been detained by security forces who suspected it was being used for espionage. In 2010, Israel's foreign ministry dismissed Egyptian reports linking a spate of Red Sea shark attacks to Israel's Mossad intelligence agency. Um, I think this bird was from Eagle Heights. That would be an interesting term, wouldn't it? Alan Ames. I reckon he's steeped in involvement with security services. Anyway, I did some research because I was so fascinated by the dolphin story. So uh, I wanted to know more. BBC News, 20th of August, 2015. Hamas seizes Israeli spy dolphin off Gaza. I mean, again, this kind of thing shouldn't be happening. These are civilised countries. I mean, the term spy dolphin. Why couldn't a dolphin be used for spying? If you rigged enough cameras up to it, dolphins are intelligent creatures. Well, they're more intelligent than you. That may be true. I suppose when, you know, during the Second World War, pigeons were used to carry messages. Yeah. So why not a dolphin? Right, exactly. So you've been hoisted by your own petard. And I, mean, I, think, I think we said in the podcast before that, that uh, pigeons did actually even, they were awarded uh, medals, I believe, for their, yeah. for their service. Exactly. Hamas claims to have captured a dolphin being used in this, as an Israeli spy off the coast of Gaza, local media report. The militant Palestinian Islamist group, which dominates Gaza, said the mammal was equipped with spying devices, including cameras, according to newspaper Al-Quds. It was apparently discovered by a naval unit of Hamas's military wing and brought ashore. No photographs of the alleged marine secret agent have been released. Our Quds said the newest recruit was stripped of its will. So this is their quote. They said that this recruit had been, in quotes, stripped of its will and turned into, in quotes, a murderer by the Sorry. Israeli security services. Are they trying to... Did the dolphin murder anyone? Are they trying to imply in some way that, 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 that they've, they've radicalised this dolphin? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they've they broken brain- it down. They brainwashed it by various torture methods. They did that whole thing in Clockwork Orange. You know, pinned its eyes open, showed it videos. Yeah. Probably showed it lots of YouTube videos of Locked cats, up, cats yeah. in boxes, things like that. Sensory cats falling down toilets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny videos. But yeah, so they stripped the dolphin of its wall and they turned it into a murderer. I'm not sure where they get the murderer part from because I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any suggestion. I just of like the, the idea that so then they just found like a knife taped to one of the flippers. What happened to the dolphin? You're not letting me read the story. Oh, sorry. It shows the extent of Israel's anger and indignation at the f- formation of a ha- Hamas's naval combat unit, the paper reports. So, in Hamas's view, Israel were angry and indignant that Hamas had formed a naval combat unit, so they sent out this killer spy dolphin. I mean, I, I don't know how well-funded Hamas are, but I, can imagine, I can't imagine their naval unit is, is, is quite extensive. Surely it really just consists of this one dolphin. <laughs> Well, precisely. Israeli authorities have not commented on the media reports. It's not the first time Israel has been accused of using animals and birds for spying purposes. Um, in 2010, Israel dismissed Egyptian claims that a series of shark attacks in the Red Sea could have been the result of a Mossad plot, um, which I want to look up right now. And in 2012, villagers in Turkey feared a small migratory bird found dead with a ring on its leg had been an Israeli spy. Their fear proved unfounded. 
Stay there, Rob, because I must know about the shark attacks. Every week on, every week on this podcast, it makes you think... And, that the and world's going slowly more and more... <laughs> just despair of humanity. More more I mean, sometimes you just think, we should just end it now. We're, we're fucked as a race. Okay, here we go. Wikipedia has a whole page dedicated to Israel-related animal conspiracy theories. Oh, for fuck's sake. Shark attacks. In December 2010, several shark attacks occurred off the South Sinai resort of Sharm el-Sheikh. Following the attacks, in an interview on Taufik Okasha's popular but controversial Egypt Today television show, a Captain Mustafa Ishmael introduced as, in quotes, a famous diver. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he's introduced. (laughs) Alleged that the GPS tracking device found on one of the sharks was in fact a guiding device planted by Israeli agents. Prompted in a television interview for comments, the governor of South Sinai, Mohammed Abdul Fadhil Shusha, initially said, what is being said about the Mossad throwing the deadly shark in the sea to hit tourism in Egypt is not out of the question, but it needs time to confirm. So their (laughs) idea was that they wanted to harm the Egyptian tour, um, tourist in- industry, so they threw killer sharks into the water to harm people and deter people. Well, I love this, the fact that he has that comment. He's, he, but he's basically saying that, look, we can't confirm this, but if we plant these seeds of doubt, then people may start to think that it is a possibility. Uh, the Israeli foreign ministry did respond and suggested that Shusha had seen Jaws one time too many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the major just said... Fuck off, mate. <laughs> Describing the conspiracy connection to Israel as sad, Professor Mahmoud Hanafi, a marine biologist at, Suez, at, at the Suez Canal University, pointed out that GPS devices are used by marine biologists to track sharks, not to remote control them. The idea that this shark was being remote controlled to kill Egyptian tourists. <laughs> Egyptian officials suggested the attacks were due to overfishing, illegal feeding, the dumping overboard of sheep carcasses or unusually high water temperatures. My God, what an episode title. Overfishing, illegal feeding, the dumping overboard of sheep carcasses and unusually high water temperatures. Uh, Amir Youssef, adjunct professor of political science at American University in Cairo, wrote that this and other similar, cons- similar conspiracy series result from a misconception among the Egyptian public that Israel is all-powerful. Youssef wrote, notwithstanding that such allegations have no factual or logical grounds, <laughs> no one stops to ask why should an Israel facing serious security challenges, Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, busy itself with that kind of stuff? For fun! that's the only way that's the only, no I mean literally th- for a yeah, laugh just that literally just that okay listeners we're running out of time here so we're just going to quickly feature the chip shop segment of the week because this all started with who emailed us uh, it was Kyber Kyber Kyber, yeah. Kyber well done he found in the Derby Telegraph that this man who is not a journalist but a photographer sits in a van outside chip shops and rates chips in what is surely our most banal feature ever. So we're going to play the audio. Should we just hit it, Rob? Yeah, let's go for it. Here we go, because it's self-explanatory. This week, Ian has popped into the Zanfish outlet in Allenton. Here it is. It's entitled Cheapest hey, Chips. Chip fans. Welcome to Derby Cheapest Chips, where we investigate the best and worst chips in your area. Today, thanks to your recommendations, I'm heading off to Zanfish in Allenton. Let's get in there. Right, I'm two minutes from purchase. Let's find out how hot these bad boys are. <laughs> he's just in a van! He's just sitting in a Volkswagen right, van. I've got the so he's thermometer got... in, and as you can see, the temperature is at 60 degrees. Ooh, that's slightly disappointing. This is scientific. Well, when you purchase your chips from Zan, he's got scales! The chips come in a nice little box, so let's find out how much you get for your two pounds. The box is nice, though. As you can see, this is a fantastic 800 grams. It's good, Alex. Very impressive. 
Right, the bit you all want to know. Making me the all important yeah, taste test. Some chips. Let's get in there. So it's got great colour. <laughs> smells fantastic. Rob, is this any different than the last video? Not really. They taste really good. Don't give it the same rating. The only thing is, they're not that hot. Oh, oh. You're going to lose points on that. So you get a huge portion of chips for your money. I score these chips four oh. out of five. Well, there's a shot. Tackling Derby, one chip at a time. Tackling Derby, one chip at a time. Rob, this feature is absolutely extraordinary. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it has to be award-winning. Um, anyway, so we'll be back, hopefully, with more of those. Do you think he's going to get fatter and fatter each week that it goes on? I certainly hope so. Um, right, should we do our listener story then, Rob? Yeah. Uh, we do the listener story, Rob. We've come down... Well, we're kind of uh, underwater, apparently. I don't know really <laughs> yeah, how apparently we're so, underwater, yeah. but we wanted to be with these dolphins because I'm convinced, Rob, some of them are spies. As I've told you, they're not. I mean, they may look like it. I mean, they are looking a bit shifty, especially with the trench coats on, but... I don't think they are. Right. Anyway, look. Why is one of them holding that weird radar dish? It's thing? not a radar dish. What is it? I know it is a radar dish. I brought seafood sticks for dinner, Rob. It seems inappropriate. Well, that's what we that's what they had. First crab, of all, crab sticks. <laughs> crab flavour sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that there was a, a journalist, uh, a, a a a journalist, radio journalist, who did that whole crab sticks line word for word? So they, they, might, they just shoehorned it into one of their shows, presumably an homage to Alan Partridge. Oh, really? Did you know that crab sticks aren't really made of crab? He did the whole line from beginning to end. Brilliant. I'll enjoy that. Right, okay. Now, I'm going to start with um, uh, a piece of... Um, what would you call this? Advice for listeners. Kyber, you do not need to apologise if, if the story you're submitting is not from the local area. It can be... Anywhere there are the no world. rules. There are no. no rules. When have we ever? Yeah, we, we don't we, care. We just want you to no. send local stories in, and if they're not local to you, fine, so and, be it. And also, you said this story was of such high quality. Well, it's from the Central Somerset Gazette, uh, which is a paper I've never heard of. Uh, it's by uh, journalist Wells, and the headline: "Drive-by yogurt attack on crochet <laughs> teacher's haberdashery leaves her shaken." <laughs> so it's, sorry, the drive-by <laughs> yogurt bit is brilliant. Yeah. The the croquet haberdashery, uh, but on the, the crochet teacher, crochet teacher's haberdashery. Crochet. So, 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 <laughs> so, so I mean, that could be. Can, let's break time. this down. Right. There's a yogurt attack, a crochet teacher, and a haberdashery shop. Yes. That my god, <laughs> that is pure. Well, how did he find it? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. Kyber, let us know. The hunt is on for a yogurt throwing convertible driver after uh, two convertible <laughs> convertible driver. You were eating a yogurt earlier. Alex, I can't drive. I'll get these dolphins. Well, that wasn't my bike. These good dolphins are going to start watching you. <laughs> I feel like they already are. Right. Um, after two drive-by dairy no, attacks in just, Dorset. I think you've just married that one. Think, oh. Yeah. Was that what that was? Yeah, you're married now to that dolphin. Oh, that's fine. I've had worse. After two what? Uh, after two drive-by dairy attacks in Dorset. <laughs> which is... Rob, their episode titles all over this. <laughs> two drive-by... Dairy my parents live down in Dorset. Might be my parents living out their retirement by throwing yogurts. Could people. be. Let's it's see. near Sherborne, apparently. They don't have a, uh, a convertible. Though. One Sherborne business owner has been left shaken. Following... Oh fuck <laughs> off! <laughs> what? Shaken? What? We're being hit by yogurt? Would you not be shaken if it you depends. just stand in there? It depends. If one of those great big tubs of, uh, of Greek fat yogurt, yeah, that could kill you. Oh, that'd knock you out. I think. Yeah. Um, but if it was a small activia, I don't think I'd be that perplexed. <laughs> <laughs> following an unprovoked street attack. Uh, sorry, street attack. With a cart of yogurt as she prepared for a crochet workshop. <laughs> it is the detail in this story. 
<laughs> Kyber, what a story. Well done, sir. Alison Nutson, founder of the Sherborne Haberdashery Butterfly Bright. Hang on a minute, what's it called? <laughs> the Sherborne Haberdashery Butterfly Bright. Rob, I've always wondered, what is haberdashery? Haberdashery, from my knowledge, is a place that sells things like thread, wool, buttons. So why was there that very famous school which has now changed its name in this sort of area called Haberdashery Asks? Yeah, I've no idea. I've right. not a clue. Um, was arriving at a new premises on Cheap Street... Uh, I don't know why. Uh, to teach a crochet workshop around 7.05pm on Wednesday, June 20th. What 20- life is down January in Dorset? Yeah. You turn up at Cheap Street to do your crochet class at a haberdashery shop and out of nowhere somebody lobs a carton of yoghurt at you. If nothing, what is happening? If nothing else epitomises Dorset, then that's, that paragraph, I don't know what does. Bearing in mind that Dorset is by the sea, how do we know it wasn't one of these uh, Mossad agents taking a hit? That's very true. I think it'd be easier to teach a dolphin to throw a yogurt than it would be to stab someone. Although mm. I'm not sure how they'd actually. Oh, we could spend the whole question. We could spend the whole podcast, I think, debating that very point. Yeah, good point. Is so, it easier? I'm right, from a marine biologist. Is it? Would it, dear marine biologist, would it be easier to teach a dolphin <laughs> how to throw a carton of yogurt at somebody or stab somebody? And we'll see how long it takes for the police to turn up. <laughs> Fair enough. Because <laughs> you said we'll get a response to that letter. Um, on when, so uh, 7.05 on Wednesday, January 20th, where a yoghurt was thrown at her and the entrance to the shop. She said, As I was unlocking the door, I heard a loud bang and felt something splatter in front of me. I thought it was an egg at first. Are and we then sure I... it was yoghurt? Can I just be clear? Oh, good. Oh, my God. I didn't think about that. You could put anything into could yoghurt. Have, it could have been a masturbating dolphin, Rob. I mean, uh, I mean that, that, that raises a whole new set of questions that we need to see in the sense of that marine biologist. <laughs> Can dolphins masturbate? Can dolphins produce enough semen to put into a yoghurt cart to throw no, out I wasn't ever suggesting, of a haberdashery? I wasn't ever suggesting that anybody put it into a yoghurt cart and I was saying it was never yoghurt in the first place. It was just semen. Uh, well, yeah, no, but I like the idea that they need to fill it up. Um, do you know? What I do love about the story is they've actually put a picture of yoghurt in there just in case you didn't know what a yoghurt looked Can like. Can I just ask you, Rob, when I was going through my um, garage... Oh God, no, Alex! I've got a crate. I've got a crate here of dolphin porn. <laughs> Fuck's sake! So if you, I do actually have a magazine with dolphins masturbating into yogurt pots, but exclusively. You want that? No, Take no, it away, I really don't. It's all right, mate. You can give it back to me. I don't want. Well, it. you still haven't given me back the uh, Wild Boar Monthly. I told you, I lost that on the way home. <laughs> right, okay. And the pages stuck together. Um. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> where are we? So, apart from overrunning, where the fuck are we? <laughs> I thought it was an egg at first, and then I saw the broken yoghurt pot on the floor, and I realised I was covered in yoghurt. Do we know what yoghurt it was, Activia? Was it a uh, yakult? I think it does. I don't know. I don't think it comes on. Does it? It might do. I don't know. Let's not talk about coming on to anything, Rob. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was all over the front door, pavement, and wall of the shop. Entrance was she well. like, ah! <laughs> It's everywhere! Um, I turned around to see a convertible with its roof down, disappearing off down Cheap Street. I wasn't able to get the, the registration. I was in such shock. So some rich bastard down in Dorset who's retired with a convertible has decided to brighten up their life by throwing yogurts at crochet teachers. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope it wasn't a targeted, targeted attack. attack. Right, okay. That's weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Um, two boys were walking up the road and heard me crying out after the car and realised I was in some distress and asked if I was all right and if they could help at all. But all I wanted to do was get inside and lock the door behind me. This is a real first world problem. In other parts of the world, you're worried about a bomb going off. You know, do you know what I mean? This is a yoghurt attack, love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, you just go in, go in, maybe wash off the item of clothing and get on the rest of your fucking evening. I was very shaken and I don't think that this... I don't believe that this is this incident is any way related to um, a, a, an Islamic jihadi attack. 
Are you is, sure there suge- is there any suggestion? I'm not sure that where they're the using yogurt. That's yeah. my only concern. Right. Um, yeah, I was very shaken, angry. It was dark, and the whole incident was frightening and quite upsetting. It seems it wasn't an isolated incident. As another yogurt was pot was seen on the pavement outside the Crown Pub on the A30 the same night. That doesn't mean that somebody that that could just be that you know. There's no causal. There's no there's no definite link between those two things. I just somehow I just hope that someone more frail than me was not left in a worse condition after such oh, an unnecessary and childish prank. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna die from a yogurt attack. Can you imagine an elderly person like? got hit by and fell off a bridge yeah. um, and a bit of completely irrelevant information the two boys who stopped to help are believed to be from the, the uh, pupils of the Sherborne school not good. relevant well, no, good, relevant. Good, good, good for their reputation uh, three quick uh, comments oh is that it for the story there's nothing a... else I'm sorry oh. Justin Kelly says it's a kind of unprovoked anguish that makes my stomach churn right good yeah, I get that yeah. uh, Mink Sucker says uh, some guy had the cheek to throw yogurt at the woman how dare he? Did, did the yogurt have bits in it? Or was it, it a non-bitty sound. yogurt? It doesn't say. Because I think I'd find that more unpleasant if there were like chunks of small bits of like strawberry on my face. Yeah, you're trying to pick those out. Especially if it, was, it got in your hair. That's yeah, difficult to I get I enjoy that. Can I, I think you, you talked over that pun. I think it was good. Sorry. Um, some guy had the cheek to throw a yogurt at a woman. How dare he? Oh, very, bravo. Very good. Bravo. And uh, I mean, not quite as good now, but uh, Dario just says, some people, sorry, some people are obviously very cultured. That's good. Can I just say to the woman, I bet yog hurt. Does that kind of work? Yog hurt. Yog hurt. Yeah, I bet yog hurt. Possibly. I bet you'll hurt. Yog hurt. Yeah, I mean, that's that's good. Um, no, you... I mean, I don't know. I denone, but it could be better. That's good. Thank you. Thank that's you. very good. Denone being a popular brand of... Uh, <laughs> of I mean, uh, you've kind of taken away from it now somewhat, but uh, Alex, I think it's the end of the podcast. Yeah, cool. Believe it. No, that doesn't matter. No. <laughs> um, anyway, Yazoo! That's not really yogurt. It's more of a milkshake. I think you find it, it, it prides itself as a, a yogurt drink. So. Anyway, if you were in the Dorset area and saw somebody throw a yogurt out of a moving convertible or saw a dolphin suspiciously masturbating on a street corner, <laughs> then I assume you should ring 101. Or probably give up the, the drugs. Yeah, or give up <laughs> the drugs. So, Rob, can we come out of the water now? Because I'm. It's just getting a bit claustrophobic. It's getting a bit cold as well. Yeah, a bit claustrophobic. My wife's just, uh, she's, she's not looking no, too good. She's been, she's been recruited to be a, a secret agent. Always happens. Um, what I worry about sometimes, if GCHQ are listening to this podcast or pick up on things that come out tomorrow, <laughs> we've had a few key terms that have popped up this week. Yeah, uh, let's not reiterate we've, them. We've had yeah. quite a lot of security forces. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, so, and terms that would be flagged up. But but we're not a threat to anybody. We are just a simple simple podcast trying to make its way in the universe. Absolutely. Um, and that is the end of this very overlong episode. So I'm going to wrap it up quickly. Episode 167. Uh, we can be found on our website, which is LAPodcast.net. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash LAPodcast. We are on Twitter at, at LAPodcast. You can post us a story. You can tweet us a story. Or you can email us LAPodcast.net at gmail.com. If you go to our website, lapodcast.net, you can download all of our episodes. There is a donate button there if you want to donate to this podcast because we operate at a loss. Uh, if you want to go to iTunes and search for Alex and Rob or local news, you will find us. And please, 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 if you haven't yet, leave us a review. We beg of you because it really does help us out. Just get more noticed and subscribe. The biggest thing you can do is subscribe to this podcast if you want to help us to flourish. So, Rob... I guess we leave now episode 167 behind and look forward with a mixture of eager anticipation yet trepidation to our next episode as we move ever more forward like like a man 
driving around in his convertible, retired, looking for some fun and choosing to throw cartons of nondescript yoghurt because we don't know what yeah, it is. No, we don't. At innocent crochet teachers and uh, caused them much anxiety and distress. Yeah, yeah. Harrowing experience that was, Rob. Absolutely. Just like that, we move ever more forward to our next episode. Not the remains, Rob, is to say goodbye to this episode. So the episode, come here, episode, he wants to say goodbye. How tall is it? I've always, I never, excited. Hi, Rob. Alex, you should be I'm bending going. over to try and imitate how his height. Bye. Bye, Rob. Good, goodbye, episode. I enjoyed your story. I want to say thank you to Kai because I think that was the best story we had this week. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a backhanded compliment. I guess it is. Bye. <laughs> Bye, episode. It's nice to see yeah. you again. He's gone, Rob. Oh, I don't know who you're talking okay. to. Okay. God bless everybody. And keep it local. Oh.